This is Nate Hansen and Tim Ritter. We are Almost Heretical. You can find us online at almostheretical.com. Why don't you kick us off this time? Hey, Nate. We're back. Hi, Tim. We're back. What are we doing? <laughs> so that's... I feel like when I kick off the show, I do like some, you know, long like introduction for like what we've been doing and like where we're going to go today and that kind of thing. And then you, I say, hey, why don't you kick off the show? And you're like, hi. <laughs> yeah. It's like, thanks. Thanks for taking that out of my hands. I don't know what we're doing. Is you're, you're piloting the plane, <laughs> captaining the ship, driving the bus. I said, hey, we should, uh, we should do kind of a, we haven't done this in a while, like a question and response episode, or even just let listeners kind of dictate the the topic for the show. And so we've had quite a few questions and and thoughts come in via email and Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff over the last couple of months, and just haven't really gotten to them unless they kind of fit in the series we were doing. Um, and so I, I want to get some of those in. And then I also uh, just shared a tweet and a Facebook post last night saying, hey, we're doing this today. And we got a number of questions that way too. So we got a lot to get to, a lot of questions. It might be kind of like rapid fire because this probably isn't going to be like that long of an episode. But yeah, rapid fire and we'll see how many questions we can get to. And if we have any interesting thoughts to share, I don't know if we do. Yeah, this is definitely question and response, by the way. Emphasis on response, not emphasis on answer. We don't have the answers to everything. We're just we're just giving a response um, instead of us deciding the topic, you decide the topic. Tim, does that sound good? Sure. Uh, okay, so I put a bunch of questions here in this list that we got in a bunch of different places. Do you want to see how many we can get through? Yeah, sure. Some I feel like are going to be like 20-second responses maybe. We won't, won't have a ton to say or something like that. But I've never done that in the history of <laughs> <laughs> being asked questions. <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's just start at the top with Brandon Warner's question. He emailed in which you can do too at contact at almostheretical.com. <laughs> he said, are you guys able to share what evangelical church it was that you used to work for? Interesting question. Um, we, uh, we worked for different churches, first of all. Well, I guess technically before that, we worked for the same ministry. It wasn't necessarily a church, but the same ministry, which is where we met and we're roommates for, uh, I don't know if everyone wants to know this, but, but yeah, anyways, we, we met and we're, uh, that's where we became friends and how we got to know each other. And then we kind of split and, well, you were already with a different church at that time. I um, started and was planting a church with a couple other guys. And uh, yeah, I don't, I guess I don't, we've never said the name, uh, the names. Okay. I was going to say this, Tim, off of this question, you probably need to share a little bit as to, you don't have to share like the, the church or like the story or anything, but we've like hinted at this story that you have that you haven't shared on the show. And we're like 51 episodes in now. You at least need to say like why you're not sharing more yet. I feel like. Oh gosh. And I'm supposed to do this in 20 seconds. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, I said some of them are going to be 20 second responses. Not all of them are going to be 20 second. Here's the thing. I, I'm okay. Sure. So Brandon, uh, I was a pastor with a church called reality San Francisco, which was a part of this kind of, uh, affiliation of churches started in Santa Barbara, California called, uh, reality. And, uh, so that's the world that I saw the dark underbelly to buyers beware. Um, I've been, uh, it's interesting. I've been, ready i think to share the story of kind of what went down and all the abuse i saw and 
why I got fired and all that craziness. Uh, but one of my good buddies who was uh, a pastor and elder at the church who also got seriously manipulated, traumatized, and fired as well, uh, he just hasn't been ready uh, to share. Even, gosh, it's been two years now. And uh, it's still too too raw, too sensitive, too traumatic uh, for him to want to kind of dive back into it. But I've realized uh, the last few months, I'm kind of getting to the spot where, like, I'm s- uh, I'm not remembering. Like, if I tried to tell the story now by myself, I probably couldn't remember some of the details without, like, really going back and swimming in all the emotions. So um, we did a run-through. <laughs> remember we got in the shed with my buddy and you, Nate? And yeah, I still have that, yeah. Yeah, it was, like, two and a half hours just, like, rehashing uh, kind of as a test to see if uh, my friend was ready to to share and gosh you really when you start getting back into the details of the story which that would be the whole point of sharing is just to like to really share the facts and we'd have to name names and um just so people can see kind of the mechanisms at work uh, and see how bad stuff really is uh you've <laughs> i really had to and i think so did uh, my friend like just re-enter that world and all of a sudden you start feeling all the same feelings again it really is kind of re-entering uh, trauma and it's completely exhausting. So I haven't like tried to sit down and hash through it even in my own uh, recollection um, for several months. And I don't really want to. I want to for um, storytelling's sake, for truth's sake and justice's sake. And so people know what they're dealing with. Um, but personally, selfishly, uh, emotionally, it's really gnarly to go back in and uh, and dig all that stuff up. So two years later, uh, it feels much less raw, but if I were to really jump back into it, (laughs) I would be like ripping those wounds wide open. Yeah. And I think another reason I've heard you say that you do want to do that at, oh, someone's flushing again, two weeks in a row. Wait for it. (laughs) Okay. Um, is that you want to, help people who have also experienced or are experiencing something like that not feel crazy. And we get a lot of emails from people who have kind of picked up the hints of the stuff you've shared over these last 50 episodes and have shared their story as well. And um, anyways, I would still love for that to happen sometime. And I feel like, you know, even if bits and pieces we can, we can get in to some extent, we would like to do that. My story is um, a bit different. Didn't necessarily experience too much um, kind of power dynamics and, manipulation personally although some of that I think was there um but yeah uh my theology changed and then kind of felt like I needed to take a step back from teaching and figure out what do I actually like think um and why do a lot of things I'm saying not feel right anymore and not work when I go to the world and tell them these things they don't want to hear them um and they don't consider it good news so I get to go figure this all out and so that's why I took a step back um and it took my wife and I a couple years uh, I guess we're still sort of in it, but it took us a couple of years to kind of like heal um, from that and heal from some of the kind of the bad ideas that we believed and were teaching people um, and to just like get over the burnout of kind of this life of ministry all the time in the sense of like, you know, every free minute you have, you need to be out like telling someone about Jesus so they don't go to hell. Um, and so, yeah, so that was a, that was a big season for us to heal from that. Um, and so anyways, yeah, you asked about the, the name of the church, the church that I helped start was called we are church in San Francisco. 
Okay, should we just do the next question? <laughs> I feel like we just jumped in like the deep end of the pool or something, you know? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess it'll get easier from here. Okay, so next question is from Paige, faithful listener of the show. On the deconstruction, reconstruction side of things, I'm curious on hearing more on ways to share the gospel outside of penal substitution. Perhaps ways you wish you had shared it in your ministry years or for people like me in ministry now teaching what are healthy and helpful ways to share. What is the way you would share salvation, Tim? She didn't say Tim, but I'm, I'm saying Tim. Do you want to lump in this question with the the one I saw a Great Commission question? Because um, they're kind of going to be the same. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let me scroll here. Oh, here we go. She's going to do so a show on evangelism. Pete, <laughs> Pete asked a similar question. He said, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. It comes up a lot in, I'm going to read the whole question. It's kind of long, but it's helpful, I think. It comes up a lot in Christian conversations and communication and seems to heavily influence churches, American ideology, and choices of where Christians give money. I Just aside here, that's exactly what I was talking about when I talk about the church that I planted. That's, we were heavy. I, I have this question now. I have the same question that Pete has. What is it really? Relevance, importance, our role, history, interpretation, misinterpretations, role in evangelicalism, making disciples, dangers of misinterpreting or ignoring. Has your view changed? And maybe most importantly, how it should look and be applied in a loving way in the world we live in. And I like the context he shared here. He said, I have a family in missions. I have family in missions who love Jesus and love people, but I struggle quietly with their ideas that we must reach these people groups and convert them to intellectual agreement to essentially save them and bring Christ's return. For instance, a tenth of the world is without clean water, but so much Christian and church money and efforts seem to focus on evangelizing to minds. I'm trying not to be too critical and to see the heart behind what people are trying to do with good intentions, but I'm often grieved that it feels like we are missing the point by misinterpreting and worshiping commands from a text. So great questions. Thank you, Pete and Paige. Um, Yeah. What are your initial thoughts, Tim? I have a couple. I've got a million. Uh, Well, let me just start off by saying uh, I was actually just having a conversation yesterday with my mom on a very similar topic. And uh, uh, one of the last things Pete said was he's trying not to be too critical and understand and remember that many of these people are coming and doing things out of good intentions. Uh, First thing I want to say is where I will come to this entire conversation is I agree with you. And I actually think a vast majority of Christians are doing things out of mostly positive intentions. And I don't think that matters at all in terms of having a conversation of what is good, what is right, what is just. Uh, It does not matter to me anymore. Why? Um, Why why do you think it doesn't matter what the intentions are? uh, so, So here's how I framed it yesterday with my mom. It matters for me in terms of how I feel emotionally towards the person we're talking about, right? Uh, For instance, with all the stuff that went down at my church, there are some people I would point to and I say, these people are just evil. They did evil. They intentionally did evil. They intentionally schemed (laughs) manipulative plans over the course of months and put them into action uh, soberly. Uh, I will never sit in a room with them again. There are others who I think were just fools, who were brainwashed, indoctrinated, uh, and convinced to perpetuate and participate in that same evil. I think they were just foolish. I think deep down they're actually pretty good people. Uh, They were just swimming in horrendous ideology. 
uh, one that basically made them think that um, <laughs> kicking out some of the pastors of the church and uh, <laughs> and basically putting them in the graves with this whole manipulative scheme in order to protect the reputation of the lead pastor was was defending the kingdom of God. Um, I don't want to be around those people. I'm not going to be friends with them, but I certainly feel different emotions toward them, right? There are others who I know were involved that were just uh, complicit because they were scared. They were just scared people. Again, I feel very hurt and uh, betrayed by those people. I'm no longer friends with them. Uh, but it would be much easier for me to see them again, have a conversation, and know that they weren't intentionally trying to do anything toward me at all. They just didn't help me out when I needed some help. Uh, so for me, there's a very big emotional difference in how I feel about people based on what I think their intentions are, whether they have positive or negative intentions. But here's the thing. All of those people's actions from intentions that I would say was just straight up evil to intentions that I think were completely uh, good, the consequences were exactly the same. The way it affected me and some of my friends and the church and people around me was exactly the same. So when we're talking about like what's good, and this is, you and I have talked about this, uh, assessing the fruit of our theology, right? Mm-hmm. The, the uh, effects of our uh, religion, the consequences of our thinking and our actions, that's what's most important when we when we try to decide what's good and right and true and beautiful, right? <laughs> not just whether we think it's uh, it's biblical or not, but whether it's actually good and loving. So to me, uh, that's that's an important sort of caveat in this conversation is to say like just because I'm going to critique an idea, right, or critique a behavior or an action doesn't mean I'm saying that everyone who's doing that is like a willfully evil human being who's trying to do evil, right? Yeah. I think Western evangelical Christianity is is wrapped up in white supremacy. That doesn't mean I think every person who goes to an evangelical church is overtly racist. <laughs> but is their Christianity and their per- participation in, in evangelicalism at large helping perpetuate white supremacy in our country? It might be, even if those people have good intentions. So that's the first thing I want to say, and then we'll get into all our thoughts and evangelism and all that. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I, I see what you're saying. Like, it really doesn't matter if the if the end of the day, what you did was evil, you had the, you had the right intentions, but you caused the same hurt, then, you know, what's the difference really? Yeah, I, I've wrestled with this question a lot. I mean, just to give you all a little bit of background on me, um, I always thought I was going to be like an overseas missionary to an unreached people group um, growing up. Like that's what I, I and, and it's not because I'm like cut out for it necessarily. Like I'm not like big outdoor, like jungle <laughs> guy. Um, but is that is that a thing? Like an outdoor jungle guy? I know people that are that. You're kind of that. Um, but it was because I thought that was the pinnacle of being a Christian. Like if you were a true sold out follower of Jesus, you, that's what you did. So that's to give you a little bit of background. That's what I thought like I was going to do. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, what Pete kind of shared there at the end is sort of where I've been stuck a bit, I guess, to people who I think the intentions are, are good in the kind of in the worldview that you're living in and that these people are going to hell. We need to reach them with this, message before you know before that happens so that they don't go to hell and um like he said it's all this intellectual assent to this set of ideas when you really boil it down i I understand that like there's a true love there you want to like love the people they want to help them in other ways too but like at the end of the day really why you're there is to 
um, try to get this kind of breakthrough where they they hold the same set of intellectual um, assents to different you know, a set of a set of data and and really believe that in their heart and all that kind of stuff. But is that is that like the the end goal? And oh, and um, one other thing I was going to say here, which I think is a super super dangerous. Um, interpretation of i believe it's a verse in matthew he uh pete pete shared here um he says convert them to an intellectual agreement to essentially save them and bring christ's return the bring christ's return line if you haven't heard too much about that so in matthew 24 there's this line uh says and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world and the testimony to all nations as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come and uh so there's guys like david platt who their whole thing is we need to basically list how many unreached people groups there are in the world and then just let's just go check 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 them all off go and tell them tell that group the gospel and it's not just as simple as like you know dropping there and saying the words and leaving it's you know it's going to be a 20-year thing where you're going to go and like preach the gospel to this group of people or, or something and so the idea is once you get through that list that's what's keeping jesus essentially from coming back um, is we haven't told everyone the gospel yet. And then, so like I play it out like logically, I mean, let's just go like, like logically here. Um, okay. So, but even let's say you check off all the lists, right? Did you tell every single person? <laughs> Did you tell, okay, but then, you know, how many people are born each day? Did you go tell all the, you know, you're gonna be at the hospital, like when the babies are coming out and like, tell them, you know, like you gotta, you got, what if you missed one? How are you going to know? Like, you know what I mean? Like it, obviously just, I'm just looking at it logically. Like that can't be what that's talking about there. That can't be what that means. Um, and so those are some of like my initial thoughts, but I mean, that's what I used to, that's what I used to teach. I was hardcore in this direction and, uh, yeah, I have more thoughts. I don't know. I'm just rambling a bit. Tim saved me. Well, I think we're going to be here for a little while. So, okay. Uh, one of the questions that, that Pete asks is how, how has our view changed, uh, on the great, great commission? And Paige's question uh, was along the lines of, you know, what are, what are ways to share the gospel? And so one of the, f- the first and, and major ways that I have changed multiple times in my view of the Great Commission and evangelism in general is that what I think the gospel is today is so, so different from uh, what I used to think the gospel was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. I'm not, I'm not cutting you off, but like, that's exactly what I think the major change is. Yeah. So one piece in here is whether, (laughs) whether Christianity really is about getting people to intellectually believe a certain set of facts, right? So in, uh, and Paige was specifically asking, what's a better way besides the penal substitutionary view? Uh, And I think what she's getting at is exactly where you and I have come from, Nate, is basically what you're supposed to get people to believe is A, they're sinful, B, therefore God is going to kill them and send them to hell, pun and torture them forever. C, Jesus did something to give you a get out of jail free card. And D, this is the, the <laughs> probably the uh, most intellectually fraught of all of them. What you have to believe is that believing that will get you into heaven instead of into hell. <laughs> so literally the first piece is, you have to believe these sets of facts, right? And then the second piece is that you have to believe that your belief in those set of facts will get you into heaven. And then that is essentially the foundation for most of the West of evangel- 
most of the rest of Western evangelicalism. Everything is built on top of that premise that it's uh, adhering to the right set of beliefs. So that's why you have people like John Piper, whose essential mission in life is to just keep people believing. Right. It's why they're so frustrated and threatened by podcasts like ours that no longer feel scared to admit uh, that some days we believe, some days we don't believe. Some days we're not sure what we think. Some days uh, we don't think there's a God at all. You know what I mean? Uh, Just being open, kind of like we talked about uh, when we looked back at the conversation with Rachel Held Evans, that faith is risky uh, if you actually admit (laughs) and are honest with doubts, right? So, uh, first of all, I say that has almost nothing to do with, uh, with what I think the New Testament authors were thinking. It has almost nothing to do with the Great Commission or the last few verses of the book of Matthew. And, uh, and has no emotional resonance with me at this point whatsoever. Hmm. So, like, for instance, I was having a conversation with my mom yesterday, and she's like, well, just kind of like, where are you with your faith? And she tracks with me on like most of we've been on a you know pretty similar journey, um, but I think she's still a little bit uncomfortable when I'll be like you know I don't know today I don't know if there's a God at all or if any of this is real or if it's all just made up. Uh, I think she's a little uncomfortable with me being kind of that uh, casual uh, with a whole lot of doubt. And part of what I'm sharing with her is like I'm just at a place where I no longer feel stressed or anxious or any sort of pressure to make sure I'm believing the right things and that I'm like really, really believing them. Uh, If God is real, if Jesus is true, if Christianity isn't all made up, then I think I'm fine. You know what I mean? Then, then the God that, that Christianity reveals is not, is not going to punish me for having a day where I was really unsure whether it was all true. Uh, And I'm in a place where like, Am I living a good life? Am I giving away uh, my power and living a self-sacrificially uh, loving life to uh, to serve and empower other people? Um, the idea that like if I die and this afternoon I wasn't I wasn't really sure about stuff, then I'm screwed. That just doesn't scare me any. Like I just don't think that's a thing anymore. So, well, because if that God is real, if that God that would that you would be screwed because you didn't believe the right set of things this afternoon or this year or this set of 10 years or whatever. If that God is real, then why would you want to be with that God? Totally. Yeah. So I'm like totally at peace with, with God, uh, being totally at peace with me, not, not knowing what I believe and what I, what I trust. And if I think there's a resurrection and if I think there's life after this or not, I'm at peace with, (laughs) with that God. I just don't know if that God exists, right? So I, I know I don't believe that some vindictive, angry God that needs blood to, to be appeased. I know I don't believe that God exists. Uh, but basically, that, that undermines the whole thing, right? And that, that's why I bring this up, is the whole premise of evangelism and our understanding of the Great Commission to go do evangelism, make disciples, is that for a lot of us, we were, tr- we were trained to think that basically means getting people to believe a certain few tenets, few tenets of the faith, right? And literally for a lot, we've talked about this, the gospel equals believing penal substitution. Or I actually think it's, it's more accurate to say that, uh, that faith in, in many circles means believing penal substitution 
and believing that penal substitution is enough to get you into heaven. If you believe that that's what Jesus did, that he appeased God's wrath, and that if you believe that believing that will save you, you'll be saved. And there's nothing you can do, right? Like, I think that's like in that same vein, like there's nothing you can do. Like if you try to earn your way or whatever, that's all because of this thing that's already been done. It already happened, right? Like that's a huge tenet that you have to believe. Totally. So, and this is part of what I was talking about with my mom is I have people very close to me in my life who I remember years ago, uh, they were not Christians and, uh, and I was, basically just hoping and praying whatever that this person would become a Christian. And he did. And years later, I now look at it and I say, it's, it's the worst thing that ever happened to him, hmm. hands down. Uh, the kind of fundamentalism, the, the subculture that's all wrapped up in gun culture and anti-Islam and homophobia and all that. Uh, he now believes in some of the things, the tenets, right? Uh, the facts asserted in Protestantism. He believes those things that I was trying to get him to believe for a long time. And I think that everything that's come with it has been literally uh, the worst thing that's ever happened to him. Yeah. Okay. But isn't that just like a lot of people would say that's an exception. Like the tenets are fine. And this is back to episode like nine or, or whatever, but the tenets are fine. He just got involved in a group that takes those tenets and then does crazy stuff with them. Yeah, I'm just saying, so use that example. What part of that is good news for anyone, for the world, right? If if good news is a list of facts that you can believe in <laughs> that has no positive outcome on the world or even potentially has a negative outcome on the world, how is that good news, right? So we, again, we used to come from the stream of thinking, and we've got to take ownership for this ourselves, that the good news is that we get out of hell and get into heaven, right? And... I'm just saying that in my own journey, that was good news for about two years. Uh, long before my like, you know, later stages of deconstruction and getting fired by the church and all that, I was very uh, dissatisfied with that theory. It just wasn't psychologically appealing anymore. Yeah. That was the first thing to go for me. I'll let you finish there. But like, that was, that was the first thing to go for me was this, uh, the ministry I was in, and I was a large part of this, I was one of the leaders, was... Um, largely about like get out there because people are going to hell and they could die at any minute or we could die at any minute. And we want the last word we ever said was like trying to save someone from hell. And, um, and so I get a lot of people that agree with a lot of that stuff that would go, Whoa, that is kind of crazy. You're a little focused on hell, but they still believe the same thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So for me, years and years ago, one of the first, uh, kind of Bible study adventures I ever set out on was to try to figure out, especially in Paul, but in all the New Testament writers, what was in their minds and in their you know, preaching and ministry, to them, what was the psychological appeal? Mm. You know, how were they emotionally appealing to people for why th- this was good? Like why the story of Jesus was, was a good announcement for the world? And not once, not once, <laughs> is the idea of getting out of hell the primary psychological appeal being made uh, for people, not one time. Uh, so that was a breakthrough moment for me. But since then, and it's actually part of why uh, we, I wanted to do the weird Genesis stuff at the beginning uh, of our podcast last year, is, is it does circle back actually to, uh, to this question of what is the gospel? And so like, here's something that I want. It's like, 
uh, I end up wanting to shout this sometimes when the conversation of evangelism comes up, um, just as like one of those, you know, poking the beast in the side, uh, to be provocative. But so here's my point. Um, the, the biblical authors, including especially people like Paul in the New Testament, believed in a world that was governed by multiple divine beings that had actually been appointed to, to be the gods of the various nations of the world by Yahweh. <laughs> and that what Jesus did was to begin the long-awaited project of taking that delegated authority back from those national deities so that Yahweh was going to begin acting as the national deity of every nation in the world in place of all of these other sub-gods that had been temporarily put there for a season. If that sounds like, whoa, 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 go back and listen to episodes <laughs> two through seven. We, we build the case there a little bit more. Um, yeah, anyways, continue. Yeah, if it's new, uh, go back. But here, so here's my point. The Great Commission, when Matthew's writing this, or, or in most all of Paul's letters, the default assumption is that what, what Christian evangelism is, spreading the Jesus story, is making people less religious by telling them that their little God has now been dethroned by Jesus, who is a human manifestation of the super God or the one true creator God and that therefore they should essentially stop their worship of these other gods, which not because they aren't real, not because they were never supposed to worship them in the first place, not because it's all made up religion, but actually precisely because of the opposite, that it was all real. That was an okay thing for them to be doing, but the times had changed and now Yahweh through Jesus was taking back territory <laughs> over the world. That that is what it was essential to this idea of a great commission going out to all the nations. So for one, my question is like, do you evangelist or you missionary, do you believe that to be true? Like, do you believe that the nations you are going to, nations that weren't even on the map for, the, for Paul or for the, uh, especially the writers of the Hebrew Bible, uh, that weren't in this list of the 70 nations in the ancient Near East, do you believe that to be true about the world? That long ago, Yahweh placed tribal deities to be the national gods over all the other nations, and you're going to tell them that Yahweh, through Jesus, is now going to be their national God. If not, then let's slow down and question this whole divine calling or ordination to go out and evangelize because that is what Paul was doing. We talked about how he was trying to get to Spain uh, to the, what he perceived as literally the ends of the world because he needed to get this good news out uh, to all of the nations and their the nation's gods, right? So none, of, very little of that has to do with convincing anybody to believe the right ideas about grace and forgiveness and substitutionary deaths or any of that. <laughs> that has to do with a worldview that I actually don't think many people you know, doing missions work or evangelism, believe at all. 
like have any uh, real belief that there were ever these other gods. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. So you're saying the the justification for going and the material that, that they're taking with them as their kind of like motivation, but also the the stuff they want to teach, all comes from writers that were giving this material, New Testament writers, Hebrew Bible, to uh, to go and do this thing, this um, this new plan of like Jesus taking back the. Uh, the, the reins, I guess, from these tribal deities that Yahweh had laid out and like, they were cool. They were fine, but there's like a new plan in place. There's uh, something had changed. And so that was the whole, the whole deal. So if you're just going to take those passages out as your motivation to go do something different than that, then let's like, let's pump the brakes here and let's talk about what we're doing and why we're doing this because it's all kind of contained within this, um, this one worldview. Is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah. And, and I think like there's a lot of toxic mission work out there, a lot of toxic evangelism, but let's like, uh, let's actually even put that on the side, right? Like let's talk about mission work and evangelism. That's like good people, like we said, with good intentions that are, you know, decent human beings and are, and are relatively loving towards those they are, uh, evangelizing. Like this is part of the conversation I just got in with my my mom. I was kind of poking fun at her a few weeks ago because her uh, her Wi-Fi password uh, was uh, Jesus loves you or something like that. And I think I was kind of poking fun at her because so in a lot of Protestant world that is another version of the gospel, right? And I think that version of the gospel is way better and way less toxic than the you're going to hell unless you believe these things, right? Yeah. So it's the John 3.16 at the football game, right? Like God loves you. God loves the world. Uh, you know, God is good. Mm-hmm. So believe So believe in him, right? So become a Christian. So that that's kind of like one other version of the gospel. And I, I don't need to go like knock anybody off their their pedestal if that's the version of christianity you appreciate fine uh if if being loved by a divine entity is emotionally helpful or psychologically appealing to you great there was a time when it was for me too uh at this point in my life it's not significant for me it's not meaningful it might be later on i don't think if if god is real that he's anti-loving or hateful right uh it's not that i don't think God loves you is a false statement. Uh, it just for for me personally, it it isn't all that important for me to think that thought on a day in day out basis. But more significantly, back to the conversation we're having, do any of the New Testament writers say that that's the gospel, right? And and if you actually read the Gospels, uh, the four Gospels, they spend far more time talking about uh, Jesus inaugurating God's kingdom and about power and authority than they do about love. And so if we're just talking in terms of like what, what the biblical authors had in their mind, again, that's what I'm saying. The, the viewpoint is about essentially taking back the world from rival deities far more than it is about, uh, about revealing that God, God loves people. So again, you could be out there doing evangelism, trying to tell people that... <laughs> that God loves them. But like, where, where are we getting that? Right. Are we just getting that because we like that version of, uh, of Christianity or we like that simplification is nice and neat and, uh, and feels good sometimes. Um, that's fine. But 
the Great Commission was not <laughs> the line uh, when Jesus speaks it in Matthew 28, uh, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is not saying go out into all the nations and tell them I love them. That is not <laughs> uh, Matthew's idea of what evangelism and the gospel is. Uh, it talks, he quotes Jesus saying, I've been given all authority. And uh, we kind of set up the worldview and we did the Genesis stuff. And I know this is a long rant. Uh, the worldview really was that the, the Jews were going to be the people that God chose to rule the world, which is a terrifying religious idea. The only thing that makes that idea not, not fully uh, atrocious is that Jesus then said that the entire way that you're going to go about doing that is by actually giving up your power and self-sacrificial love, and only after you relinquish your power will you ever be given power. So what Matthew's version of Jesus telling the disciples to go out and do is, is to essentially go conquer the world for God by immersing, baptizing yourself and others into the life that Jesus lived convincing people that it's a good thing to do <laughs> to choose to die and, and give up your power for others rather than to keep it. Wow. So if, again, that's, that's where like, if evangelism means to you to go talk to your neighbors or people on the other side of the world and use the story of Jesus to try to convince them that the best thing they can do with their lives is to give away their social, economic, cultural power so that those around them can be empowered over them, all the power to you to go do that. And if that's what you call Christianity, spread that <laughs> to the ends of the earth. And I actually think that's much closer to what Matthew and Paul had in mind than convincing them to believe some set of facts about about religion. But the reason I bring up all the weird tribal deities and other God stuff is, uh, is honestly, it's, it's just to kind of poke and prod, right? Because I think both for Pete and for uh, Paige and, and you and I, Nate, like so much of our sense of like what evangelism is and the, and the guilt complex we have of whether we're doing enough of it, right? is because of what we've been told is biblical. And this is like the great biblical command, right? It's why it's called the Great Commission. <laughs> it's like this great biblical command that therefore has this divine uh, uh, weight uh, upon our lives, yet we don't even understand the context of where this is coming from. And that's the part I'm just trying to poke at is like, especially if you're one of the pastors out there who every other Sunday is just reaming people for why they're not... Uh, being good enough Christians because they're not evangelizing enough, you know? Uh. <laughs> oh, gosh. On that, like, the, um, I probably said this too, but, like, the, the lead pastor from from um, the church that I planted would say that God is not with you unless you are out sharing Jesus. Yikes. He's, he's only with you if you are doing that. It's like, whoa. I mean, not just one time. Like, that was said many, many times. Uh, and repeated by all of us. So totally. um, that's, yeah. Okay, so I just went on a long rant, Nate. Uh, share share with me your thoughts. What, uh, yeah, how do you feel about all that? Yeah, I think you put into words pretty well, um, like some of the stuff I've been feeling and kind of um, growing in in my, um, 
in my thinking regarding the gospel. Cause I think that's really what we're talking about here. I don't think, you know, if the gospel is like cookies are good and, and eat them, like no one really cares if you're going to go around telling everyone the gospel. So it's like, what are we, what are we talking about when we say that word? Cause it's kind of like this word that gets thrown around by a lot of different people and we don't really know what they mean by it. So, um, for, for you and I, I know, um, and you know, I guess I'll just talk about for me, like a lot of what started changing was that I started like reading N.T. Wright and I started uh, listening to Tim Mackey, who has been on the show recently here. Um, and in what they're talking about when they, they would say, you know, Jesus, like you said, Jesus was going around, not talking about um, penal substitution, not talking about uh, you know, being saved from hell, not talking about God loves you. He's talking about this new, uh, this new order in the world and, and this, uh, flipping upside down the the power structures and and saying like you know Jesus is king and what that means is this uh subversion of power and this like yeah like you said like trying to move down the the power and, and giving up your power in order to move down the, the ladder and stuff like that so like I think that was the biggest thing that happened was the, my picture of what the gospel is changing um but yeah like you said like if that's what it is if it's this giving up of power and, and, and trying to go around convincing people that giving up your power, even to the point of letting other people kill you, uh, AKA Jesus, then yeah, go, go preach that. Go, go tell everyone about that. Um, and if the way you get to that is, um, through the story of Jesus doing that, that is amazing. That is wonderful. Go do that. But yeah, I guess it all just comes back to what are, what are you saying? The gospel is, um, and then there's so much more to get to here. I think we start talking about like bringing Western thought to non-Western people around, around the world. Um, largely what, what missions has been. And I know we don't think of it this way because we are Western, but like it's bringing these Western ideas, Westernism, um, and Western Christianity and Western. So like evangelicalism and that kind of stuff to these people. Um, and so there's a, I think there's a, I'm not saying everyone who does that is racist or whatever, but there's, there's a hint of like elitism or racism that kind of, that kind of sneaks in there sometimes. I know it, it did in the way I thought about it and the way I taught that. Um, so I think there's more to get to there. We probably don't have time to, to do that today, but yeah. yeah, there's so much here, but I think essentially it's understanding like, what are you saying the gospel is? And then is that, does that fit in this worldview of, of uh, New Testament writers and even Hebrew? I'm saying too much here. What the gospel is. Right. And I think I'll just add, like, part of what I'm uh, trying to say is that the gospel is many different things to many different people. Some of those things I think are good and valid. Others I don't. Uh, but that's just my opinion. Um, so we value <laughs> assessing the the consequences, right? The ramifications of your version of the gospel. Um, but some people may be super excited to hear that God loves them and they may have been told that God doesn't love them. Right. Uh, or some people may be super excited to hear about, uh, a vision in which, uh, there's a God who is going to help us renew the world. Like, uh, there have been times where I'm super excited about, uh, that idea. Um, the what's problematic, I think, uh, in terms of overall <laughs> overall postures is trying to conform people to fit an emotional psychological mold that you have established for them in advance because you think that's the biblical mold rather than actually knowing people, befriending them and 
seeing if there, <laughs> if there are any ways that your version of Christianity or that somebody else's version of Christianity might be helpful to them in this season of life, right? And so, for instance, that, this conversation with my mom, uh, she's feeling really uh, nurtured by the reminder that God loves her. I, I don't need to take that away from her, right? Yeah. And I also don't need to try to convince her to <laughs> to hold to a different version of Christianity. Uh, some a conversation I think we had at the Portland Gathering, I can't remember, but I know you and I have talked about it, Nate, is uh, on this journey, I have no idea where it's headed. I don't know what I'll, what I'll think or believe five or ten years from now, but I'm pretty dang certain wherever this journey heads, I'm never going back to evangelism. Yeah. <laughs> If evangelism means trying to get people to be Christian for being Christian's sake, I, I don't conceive of a future world where that is ever of value to me. And that was the underlying principle, right? Whatever, you know, whatever your version of the gospel, it was the idea that we need to help people by helping them become Christian. I don't think I'll ever hold that premise again. That doesn't mean I think there's anything wrong with sharing your faith or your religious ideologies with other people or talking about what you believe like I don't think any of that's bad or wrong uh, but I don't think I personally will ever go back to thinking that uh, if someone moves from not believing in Christian theology to believing in Christian theology that de facto their life will be better I don't think I'm coming back to that one okay so we had to cut things short because we recorded way too long to put it into one episode so we're chopping this up into three parts so this was part one of questions from you all. Make sure you are subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcast because we have so many more great questions from you coming up. Like, have we created an idol of the Bible? What about divine healing? And does it matter if the Exodus happened historically or not? If you want to hear those, come on back. But make sure you subscribe because you never know when we're going to publish a podcast. And hey... I think we could all use one more notification on our phones, right? Okay, nope. Anyways, go to almostradical.com if you want to find out more about the show and subscribe if you want to listen to parts two and three of this series. Catch you next time, friends.